Dear friends in Christ, we read from God's Word this morning from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12, verses 38 to 41. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. In the name of our Savior Jesus, who indeed is greater than Jonah, and is also the resurrection and the life. The Apostle Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. The natural person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Is there a better example of that than the concept of faith? The Bible tells us that faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. When we are faced with the task of believing something, when somebody proposes something to us to accept, we want to have proof. We want to have proof because life tells us it's important to have proof. You don't want to be fooled. You don't want to be duped. You don't want to be led astray by someone. It is considered naive and immature by people today for many good reasons to believe something without physical proof. But that's exactly what God asks us to do. In fact, it is what is required of us in our relationship with God. Because God transcends not only what we would expect, but also what we can observe. We look at the resurrection of Jesus as an example of this. We have not seen that with our eyes. Yet we believe it to be true. But it's also true of many other parts of our life with God. And in fact, we could say it's really at the essence of faith in God is to trust without having to see the physical proof. The lesson is that God is always reminding us throughout his word that we do not want to and indeed cannot accept what he has done without the work of the Holy Spirit. Paul said, the natural person cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. This is true of the great theological mysteries of the Bible that speak about God, His eternal nature, how He's all-powerful, how He created the heavens and the universe. But it's also true of the areas of our faith that intersect with our lives. And is there a more pressing example of that today than the resurrection of Jesus? Certainly that is a thought beyond our comprehension. It's above us. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. But it's also something that intersects directly with my life. Because Jesus promises, because I live, you will live also. If Jesus is going to give me a promise to hang on to about my life, how am I to accept and trust it? without having proof. 
Why would God take such an important matter, the very difference between eternal life and eternal death, why would he stake that important matter on faith? Why wouldn't God make it clear to us? Why wouldn't God give us the proof? Certainly more people would believe, would they not? Well, this is a tough question to ask. And it's certainly something that will touch on our hearts as Christians from time to time as we use the word and we're active in our faith. But God does offer us some compelling answers. First answer is this. For it to be God's work, it must be understood and received by faith. 1 Corinthians 2.14 is just one example of many throughout the Bible of what the effects of the curse of sin are. Not only does it plague the world around us, not only does it affect my physical body as I age and I get older and my body breaks down, not only does it affect my mind and the way that I talk to other people, the way that I treat people, but it also affects the way that I understand and accept God. Sin has cursed that as well. In fact, usually as sinners, what we perceive as coming from God is usually not at all what God would have us believe or accept. Consider in the Bible, story after story after story of people who followed God, who went through the same things that we go through as believers, who fell into unbelief and idolatry. Part of the reason for that is not just temptations out there in the world, but because our sense of discerning what God tells us is also broken. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. And so for something to be assured to us that it is truly from God, it must come by faith, the way that God chooses to work. Here's a second answer. God does give us compelling proof for the resurrection. One of the features that we look at each time of the year around Easter is exactly what we did in our second scripture reading from Corinthians, where we see in the Bible all of the individuals that are listed who saw the resurrected Christ in bodily form. You have the women, you have the 12 disciples, you have the two other disciples on the road to Emmaus, you have the group of over 500 followers of Christ that saw him at the same time. There were simply too many people at that time that could have proven the claim to be false if indeed it was not true. Furthermore, the Easter accounts in the Gospels, in the Bible, they're filled with the foolishness, the ignorance, and the mistakes of the most ardent followers of Jesus. These are the people who were supposed to have it right. They were also the people that would go on to write the majority of the New Testament. And the fact that they included their own personal limitations and mistakes, their own personal shortcomings. If you read, read through the gospel accounts on the resurrection, no one got it right. The angels even had to tell the women at the tomb, don't you remember what Jesus told you about? He said this would have to happen. If these stories were fabricated, if they were man-made, if they were made up, they would most certainly not have contained these personal blemishes. So there is proof for the resurrection. There's proof that we build our faith upon of people who did see Jesus as an eyewitness. The point that Jesus makes in our text is the same that he made with Thomas. 
The point is that the signs, while helpful, while possible at times, are not necessary. When we think about the word signs in this sense, what we're referring to is the physical evidence that we see with our eyes about what God promises and declares. Throughout the Easter story, Jesus told his followers, first of all to the women, to go and tell others what had happened. But no one believed. Everyone doubted. Thomas is the one who singled out as doubting Thomas because he has a specific story relegated to his experience of doubt. But the other disciples did the same thing. God's message to Thomas was, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. If we want to be blessed by the Lord, shouldn't we take him at his word and say, Yes, I am blessed when I haven't seen and yet still believe. This is clearly important for us because we are the generation of Christians who have not seen the risen Savior with our eyes. We trust what is written by the Holy Spirit through the accounts of those who have. But the difference between us and those first followers of Christ who saw his body risen from the dead is nothing more than one of time and space. We had the same struggles of sin. We had the same mental block. We had the same ailments that we wrestle with. And furthermore, the reason for them to believe in Jesus and the way it was made possible is the same as it is for us. Jesus told them, go and tell others. Proclaim the word. Paul summarizes it this way to us in the book of Romans. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Notice how Paul doesn't say faith comes by being able to see with your own eyes. He can't say that because that would no longer be faith. In our text for today, the same message is given, and we see it was given even before Christ died and rose again. In this account in Matthew, Jesus had been speaking to the scribes and Pharisees for quite some time. You can look in your Bibles and follow us back even into chapter 11 of Matthew. And so there was great concern that was building up in these religious leaders as they talked to Jesus and heard him teach. And each thing that he moved on to was like he was jumping up the staircase and their concern rose with every claim that Jesus would make. It started off in the chapter with Jesus performing miracles on the Sabbath. In the minds of the religious leaders, this represented a lack of respect for the law of God. But Jesus was teaching them that he was the Lord of the Sabbath. He was the fulfillment of those laws. Next step was that Jesus started doing great miracles, healing people, casting out demons, displaying power over creation. Certainly the assumption that came with this was that he was God or had the power of God, especially as he's displaying power over demons, power over the created world. But the reaction of the religious leaders was that he had this power by Satan, Jesus responded by saying, what good would it do for Satan to use his power to work against his will? Third, finally, as we come to our text, Jesus spoke against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders. Now, it's one thing to perform miracles on the Sabbath. It's one thing to show the power of God. 
It's one thing to rebuke a claim that he's getting this power from Satan. But this third step cut to the heart even more because it was personal to the leaders that Jesus called them out directly. This was perhaps because of that the most scandalous thing that Jesus did in their eyes. Shortly before our text, Jesus talked about an image that spoke to hypocrisy, the fact that a tree can show its quality by the fruit that it bears. If a tree bears good fruit, it is shown to be a good tree. If a tree bears bad fruit, it is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the message to the religious leaders was, check to see what your fruits are. What do your words and actions and thoughts say about the healthiness of your faith? This all came to a head in our text as the Pharisees and the scribes then unknowingly revealed the rottenness that was in their hearts that led to them rejecting Jesus. Thinking that it would settle the matter once and for all, the Pharisees put Jesus to the ultimate test. Show us a sign. Certainly the implication here, given the context of this chapter, was that some type of sign that is greater than healing somebody. Show us some type of sign to prove that you are who you say you are. Surely, if there was such a sign, it would have to be the resurrection, right? What could be a greater proof that Jesus was who he claimed to be? That he was the Son of God? That he wasn't an agent of Satan? Satan doesn't work for life. He works for destruction and death. Well, Jesus told them the sign of the resurrection would be given. Jesus hearkened back to the Old Testament, to the story of Jonah, to see how God was already planting the seed for this sign in the Old Testament. That just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the fish, so also the Son of Man would be three days, three nights in the heart of the earth. Just as Jonah, in that sense, needed to rest a bit, we might say, from his rejection of God so that he would go to Nineveh, so Jesus himself rested in the tomb when he died to fulfill and accomplish God's will. The sign would be given, but it would not be enough. Even the sign of the resurrection seen by probably some of the very individuals that Jesus was talking about here. These religious leaders also put him to death, also saw him on the cross, also tried to cover up the resurrection. See, it wasn't about the sign. That wasn't enough proof for them to believe. It's not because the sign falls short. The resurrection is what it is. It is truly the greatest of all miracles taking back life from death. But it's because our stubborn, sinful natures are not good enough. As Paul said, the natural person does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, even if those things are a resurrection from the dead. God's way is by faith, not by sight. So Jesus said that the sign of the resurrection would be given, and surely it was. But he said even more than this. He warned the Jewish leaders, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. 
when we're confronted with a problem in life, to find a solution, we need to first be honest about the problem. The problem of unbelief is that it seeks to bend the will of God, the word of God, the plan of God into man's will. It's what's at the heart of all idolatry, an attempt to take the place of God. And the resurrection of Jesus does not bend to the will of man. It was the wickedness of sin in the hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes that caused them to doubt Jesus, not the absence of a sign. The sign would be given. Just as Jesus taught to Thomas and to us, faith is not what we see with our eyes, but rather what we see God do through our faith. Just as Jesus taught in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, he said, they have Moses and the prophets. If they don't listen to them, they won't be convinced even if one rises from the dead. The sign of the resurrection was given, but that is not what it was all about. If you follow the story through with Jonah, you see the purpose of the resurrection. That's what we want to be able to see. That's what is the source of our trust. Not the miracle, not the sign, not what we witness, but the purpose behind it. Jesus said the men of Nineveh will rise up in judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And indeed, a greater than Jonah is here. The reason Jesus came to suffer, die, and rise again is that all people would hear that message and repent of their sin. That's the purpose of the resurrection. It shows us the solution to the problem. But that involves seeing the root of the problem first. Through repentance, our own resurrection now takes place. God tells us this happens in our hearts when we come to faith. It's arising from the dead. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in his second letter, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Something new happens when we come to faith. A change takes place. Life defeats death. And God says that parallel will continue when your physical body is resurrected on the final day. The old has passed away. The new has come. In Romans, Paul talked about this in terms of baptism. He says baptism is one of those gifts that God has given you to give you new life. Notice what he says about baptism. We were buried with him, Christ, by baptism into death. That just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If we have been united in a death like his, we will certainly be united in a resurrection like his. That's the confidence that we have. The promise of God in his word that he has given us the keys to eternal life. He has given us that through the gospel word, through baptism in the Lord's Supper that communicate and deliver that word of promise directly to our lives. God did this so that your confidence would be firmly rooted in Christ Jesus and what he accomplished and not in what you or others have seen. Furthermore, this is the only way to God. 
because of the unrighteousness of our sin, because we cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God on our own, for us to receive what God has done, it must be by faith. Think about how much God loves you to make this the way of your salvation. He knows what sin has done in your life. He knows that it causes you to be stubborn and to wrestle against His will. He knows that it tempts you to want to chart your own path, to want to circumvent His will, to want to replace Him at the head of all things. God knows you're up against these challenges. He knows these struggles that you face. So He designed a way for you to have eternal life that is not dependent on it at all, but completely on Christ. Is there a greater evidence of God's love for us? And so this is why we continue to proclaim the resurrection. We continue to proclaim it by the same word, using the same sacraments, based on the same Savior, and through the same faith as those who first saw Jesus rise from the dead. Because it's not about the sign. It's about the purpose from God's promise. The very verse before our text Jesus summarized the whole point. In verse 37, Jesus said, By your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. The key is the word, not the sign. Thanks be to God that we have His word, and we don't have to rely on our own. And through His word, we are justified through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please rise.